we have gone through portions of 1 Timothy and now into 2 Timothy. I thought by now that we would be in into uh, the third chapter, but uh, we start there tonight. Last week we talked about verse 20 through 26 of 2 Timothy. So I guess we're going into, I'm sorry, 3 Timothy tonight. And uh, the way that we've been doing this, this format we've never done in here before, but we're doing this format as though you were journaling and I'm asking you questions and you're giving the answers that you would, uh, would potentially write in your, in your journal if you were reading this passage of scriptures just to help prompt your thoughts. But uh, this night is interactive and we have not been recording these nights because otherwise every one of you would have to come to the microphone every time you had a comment and that would not work for us. Um, Plus, there are some folks that would just be so nervous. I don't know why that is. Microphone makes them nervous. Not Anne. But anyway, we are in, we're in the third chapter of Timothy, and we're going to start with the first... I'm going to read the first nine verses, and then we're going to just open them up for discussion and, uh, and have a little conversation here. Uh, so let's read together uh, chapter 3, verse 1. But know this... Then in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal. This is really uplifting reading. Despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And then the scripture says, And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sin, led away by various lusts, always learning and never being able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly and will be manifest to all as as theirs also was. Um, So, let me, let me make a clarification because you, unless you read some, historian, some work of historians, you're not going to know who they were talking about when they say in verse 8, now Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. And I just want to clarify that for you because I know that when you read that, you're like, huh, have I heard that before? And no, you haven't because those names are cited in the New Testament and not cited in the Old. But they are the names historians have written that they are the names of the magicians that resisted Moses, the plagues of Egypt. So, he used them as an example. When he says, uh, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these, who we're talking about here, also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith. All right, so... Assuming you had your journal in front of you, you might, but you probably don't. If you are reading this passage of scripture, and you read across this verse in the context that we just read, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, what would you write in your journal that God is saying uh, um, denotes or establishes that we are in perilous times. For men will be le- right, right there. He says he starts off with a good example, doesn't he? Men's not, men are going to be lovers of themselves, caring about this life, caring about their own stuff. All right. So if you've read a passage like this, and 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 the Holy Spirit is beginning to speak to you and whisper to you, listen for just a minute to what the Holy Spirit would be saying to you as you analyze what the scripture is speaking to you. And then I want you to share what this passage 
I don't care if you share from the whole nine verses or, or just the first couple of verses or if you, if you just have, have an observation. But if, the, if you were sitting alone with God and you were reading this, where would the challenge from the Holy Spirit come to you? You might have to be transparent to share that. You might not want to share that. When I was reading this, and I'll give you an example, when I was reading this actually last week, and again this week as I was preparing for this class, I started looking at every one of those descriptions and asking the Holy Spirit if somehow I would see myself there. What do you think? What if I'm in that boat? <laughs> yes. What if I'm there? One of the things that always stands out to me is in the book of James. And, and, and when I read scriptures like this, I have to read them kind of in light of the book of James. The book of James, he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I'm meaning, a man that's, that's, that, that says, I'm going to follow Jesus, but his life doesn't show that he's trying to follow Jesus. You're never going to get it perfect, but you're trying to follow Jesus and trying to be like him. A, life, a man that says, I'm a Christian, but then he never goes and looks at himself in the washing labor of the word. He never looks at the word and lets the word wash him. Well, when you look at a passage like this, if you break down every one of those descriptions, I believe... That if you were sitting with your journal and if you were really taking your time, that as you read through these descriptions, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, you'd go, now, now all those things don't apply to me. But there's certainly some of those things that give rise to some issues in my life that I need to work on. And I think in our culture, it's like you said, in, in right, right out the gate. And like he said, right out the gate. We're in a culture where people care about what's going on with themselves. And it's easy to be caught up in that culture. Any thoughts? Don't be quiet. You're sw- switching what? Versions. Switching versions. What does it say? What, what version are you turning to? Turn back. Oh, back from, from the Amplified? You'd be producing perilous times. Speaks of a self-righteous religion. Jeannie was describing last night in Korea, we were talking, not about this, we were on a completely different subject, we were talking about angels actually, and I'm not sure what prompted her to share her testimony, but she was saying when she was working with the folks in the prison, that, that as prisoners that, that were coming to Jesus began to have indicators that there was, of course, demonic influence in their life or things going on in their life that, that needed Deliverance, or needed uh, some hands laid on him, or needed wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit, that she would begin to pray in the Spirit, or she would cast them out, or she would deal with the issue that was whatever was in front of her. You're equipped to deal with whatever's in front of you. And so she would do that. And so the leaders came and said, Stop! You can't do that here. 
And she said, if the thing, the power gifts that are deposited in me that make me effective as a minister of the gospel that allow me to help people be set free cannot be used here, then I can't work with y'all. I just, I can't. You know what? They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They love Jesus. She had to turn away from them. Because they were putting her in a box where she couldn't function in the ministry gifts that are in in her. They had not developed in their own life to understand that those things are valuable, important, and strong. And the Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And then if you've got to go into a situation and they have to tell you, don't tap into your power. Because it might make someone feel uncomfortable. Well, it might also set somebody free. Yes, Roger. Yeah. The is, the, the no. We don't really about. entirely care, no. We do what we do. And if they don't like what we do, then let them leave. It's their it's their problem, not ours, yes. Yes. Step out on the limb. He's going out there with you. Step out on the limb. He's going out there with you. That's right. So, we're looking at the indicators and the characteristics that actually produce perilous times and made the point. So, me being the extremely positive person that I always am. Yeah, I was waiting for that. I just I knew there would be a little bit of a delay there. When I read the scripture and I read things like this, I also like to look at it in, 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 in mirrored fashion. Let me explain what that means. If perilous times come because men are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, then, then it must be the opposite of that that produces times of blessing. And so if I were taking notes on this as a Bible scholar or as a person who was sitting in their prayer chair with their journal, I would write down lovers of themselves and then I would write down lovers of others and I would write down lovers of money and then I would write down steward of resources and then I would write down proud and I would write down humble and I would begin to really make the comparison uh, when he says blasphemers then blasphemers are those who speak against the Holy Spirit so we must be among the crowd who speaks for which really really gripes me when there are believers who don't get the concept And there are plenty of them in our culture. We're living in a day where the popular idea in church life is to make the environment comfortable so everyone will feel comfortable to come there because the Bible says whosoever will. That does not produce life. If people are truly seeking God then they're not seeking to be entertained. They're not really seeking to be fed a bagel. They're not really looking to see if you've provided a cup of coffee when they come in. All those things are wonderful, and there's nothing wrong with any of it. And I love when I get to church and somebody has a cup of coffee for me. It has to be decaf now. But I said that just in case somebody wanted to have a cup of coffee for me. Uh, But anyway, so as we look through these things and we compare them to our culture and we compare them to our life and we compare them to ourselves, then we, if he says this is what produces perilous times, then what produces grace and strength and blessing? 
that's really the conversation that we as believers, people of faith, then should be having with ourselves. And when he starts talking about this stuff, I always think, you know, somebody does something terrible politically or somebody does something really terrible internationally like things that are happening in Ukraine right now and those kinds of things. I always think, God, you know, go get them. Sick them. God's going to get you for that. You know, that kind of thing. God's going to judge that. And he is. He's gonna, he, his hand is in there. He's going to judge it. But you know when we read scripture, scripture does not highlight all of those things that we consider big and important. Scripture highlights character. Looks at our character. And scripture says, when, when, when I read stuff like this, then the Bible's telling me not to worry about everybody else's character, but to work on my own. When my boys are tattling, uh, you know, Jesse tells on Josiah, or Josiah tells on Jesse, we use him as an example. I'm like, Jesse, take care of Jesse. It's a big enough job, right? That's what scripture, I believe, is saying to us. And then he says, now I want, I want to ask you, what do you do with words like, especially in our, in our, in our Christian culture? Now I'm thinking, I'm talking about Western Christian culture, the culture in which you live as a believer, what do you do with scriptures when it says, and from such, turn away? What do you do your best to love on them and reach out to them and try to disciple them more? Um, be a Christian or try it out or whatever. I don't know what to say, but um, just give it a shot, you know? Yeah. What is what does define turning away? What what should be our our actions or activities with respect to turning away? Say that louder. Did. Missionary friendship, yes. Do you have your electronic Bibles? Those of you that have electronic Bibles to look up stuff quickly. Did you know, you might look this up while we're standing here, I'm not going to, um, that Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. I came to, I came to bring div- division. He said, there's going to be circumstances and times when your decision to believe is going to divide you from the people around you. We're living in a culture where it's not just becoming that way with our families. We used to think of that as, as, as a third world situation where there, there are radical religious families that if you believe in Jesus, you've denied the family and you've denied the faith. And so if we find you, we'll kill you, you know, or whatever. And, and we understand that in those cases, those people, I was talking to a man who was from Iraq, and he spent 11 years in a, uh, in a uh, camp, refugee camp in Turkey, because when he became a Christian, he was disowned by his family, and his life was in danger. So he had to flee, had to take his wife and his children and flee the country. Okay. That is a true expression of Jesus saying, I came to bring a sword. But we're living in a day and a time and a culture where we're going to begin to see the effects of that sword. I remember when my parents were growing up, when when we were growing up and my parents were young and raising us, there were places and family members and fellowship among family members there were times they simply would not take us to family things because what was going to go on there did not reflect a wholesome environment where Christians could comfortably participate. 
So we didn't go. Brought a sword. And I remember my aunt telling my mother, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. And my mom said, I'm not throwing rocks. I'm just not coming to your house. <laughs> because I'm not going to participate or bring my children around that. I remember when Laura and I had our kids young and we were living in the Bay Area and we determined that the environment that we were living in and the, the fellowship that was around us was not the environment that we wanted to raise our children in. And so we got a job packed up and moved to the valley so that we could be in so that we could have more control over the environments that our kids were in because in the bay area the only prayer we ever had was at that financial structure that we were in was to live in an apartment and in the bay area in an apartment is not a great way to raise kids and we knew that and so we were willing to uproot come back to fresno one of the many times I've come back to Fresno, thank you, Jesus. He knows better than I do, right? So, now, he gives further exhortation there, from such turn away. And he gives more example. For, from this, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sin. Write that in your journal. What is he talking about? And so this gullible woman that he's using as an example is one who's allowing herself to be... Little things. So gullibility speaks of small foxes that lead to bigger things. And... Uh, he only used women as examples. I know plenty of gullible men, so let's not, you know, write ourselves out of that sentence. They're leading away the gullible. The, 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 the scriptures give no place. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tag on that because I, I believe you're right there. I went to uh, one of those meetings as a child. I was healed, and then I got the letter that said, if you send, God told me that if you send me $2,000, I was like in ninth grade. Okay. And my dad said to me, don't lose what God did for you because he's a fool. Let it go. And I didn't lose what God did for me because the man was, was in it for money. Apostle Paul said, whether they're preaching for correct motive or for gain, leave them alone and let God judge it. He's going he's gonna to sort that out. There he is. So that's kind of how I've always looked at that. But people are who, who, will, who will not give themselves to a body of believers give themselves to relations to the community of the body of Christ and allow themselves to be discipled and rooted, leave themselves in patterns of, of being gullible when it comes to the word. The word gets shared. It gets shared out of context. Things get said. I, I'm, I'm telling you, when some of those TV evangelists that, that all they ever talk about, the ones that only talk about money, there are some, there are some genuine ones out there. I don't want to throw all the baby, uh, baby out with the bath and all that. I want you to be discerning. But those that you can see, that ta they take the most minute scripture and turn it into a scripture about 
prosperity based on your giving when maybe that scripture has absolutely nothing to do with that whatsoever. But they, have, they are so skillful in how they work the word. Well, that's exactly what Satan did in the garden with Eve. He told her part of a truth. Now, if something is part of a truth, is it truth or is it lie? Half truth is a full lie. It's still poison. And the, and the Jesus, Jesus said that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And um, uh, let me see. There was, there was another passage of scripture I had fleeting, running through my mind. Well, you guys got it. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. You get it. So when he says uh, these gullible women, uh, takes, he takes them captive, gullible women loaded down with sin, it, it means that, that there is a creeping in that comes place that produces, you said it's like you don't become a drug addict overnight, that you don't become uh, demonized overnight, you don't become, uh, you don't become in bondage overnight. You, those things creep in. The scripture I think you referred to, the, the word says it's the small fox that spoils the vine. It's, the, it's always the little things. It's never the big things with God. It's always the little things. Yes, Roger. To the culture. Yeah. To go on. Right. It's never addressed. Right. This is what the church in this country today is all about. Everything you're talking about is what the church is telling you is okay. Joyous, share, in, in context with what he's saying, share about that church you visited in the summertime okay. that you told us about last night in Korea. No names, yes. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get you to pray the sinner's prayer, but we're never gonna get you rooted in your faith. That's what he said in that statement. We're never going to get you rooted in your faith. Uh, we're never going to grow you up. Sermon flick. How'd the spirit move that day? Yeah, they're, I'm sure that... Many, many times the people who pass through our doors and then come and then go, the reason they go, if they were thoroughly honest about it, is that there is a press to become a disciple in this house. Because I run them off. I don't mean to. I'm not trying to. Right. No, it's true. And we literally make an effort that if you've never gone through any kind of discipleship, 
If you've never been trained in the word, I don't care how old you are and how long you've walked with God, we want you to go through. Be through that to get that foundation. And then, and then more. There's more. But uh, the reality of it is that um, the Great Commission said, go preach the gospel and make disciples. If we're not going to be disciples then we're, we're, well, we're, we're not even touching half of the Great Commission. And we leave people gullible, vulnerable. Rachel? Yes. Oh. You're new. Welcome. Uh-huh. Yes. Amen. You're in. We will be talking about that with you. And sharing that with you. But being a believer, receiving Jesus, you've done that. You've said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me my sins. Now, becoming a disciple is becoming a person who looks at the word of God, studies the word of God, and allows it to become a part of them, allows the Holy Spirit to reveal understanding to them, and they begin to pattern their life after the instructions of Jesus. To be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus. So a lot of people come to Jesus and they pray and they ask him to forgive them of their sin. But they have no intention of following him. They have no intention of of him ever really changing their life. Well, the experience that you've had is that you've watched a miracle. You've watched how Jesus changes lives. Okay, if he can do that related to sickness, he can do that related to every other area of your life. So the Bible says you go in the Proverbs, it says in all of your getting, get wisdom, get knowledge, get understanding, the things of God... And so we set environments where we're trying to pour that word of God coupled with the spirit of God into your life. That is what being a disciple is. And then, and then taking that and being able to um, articulate it to others around you. Because we believe and understand from scripture that as you grow up in Jesus and as you share your story of how you came to Jesus, there's going to be somebody around you God's going to put in your sphere of influence that when you tell your story, the Holy Spirit's going to use that as an access point to their heart to tell them, hey, pay attention to what he's saying. Come and follow me. And so you'll eventually, through your own story of what God has done in you and with the word of God, bring others to Jesus. It just, it's just the natural course of things. A healthy church, people are coming to Jesus which we've had happen just in the last two weeks. People are, uh, God's answering prayers. The word is being taught in truth. It's not being uh, overshadowed. Sometimes the word isn't easy. There's things in there I don't like to hear, but it's truth. So I receive it because it's true, not because I like it. I didn't go to the word because I like it or not. I go there because it's truth. So not everything that the word shows us about ourselves makes us comfortable. In fact, a lot of it, when you start reading this stuff, like we read tonight, and then you start looking at yourself and saying, oh, there's some areas he's talking to me. You know, so when I was looking through this and I'm thinking, just reading uh, boasters and, and uh, proud, then I start thinking about my own conversation about myself. Am I building myself up or am I building Jesus up? Am I telling people how wonderful Jesus is? Or do I, do I tend to tell people how wonderful I am? Well, I don't think so. But, you know, those are the kinds of questions. The Bible says that the word is like a mirror. You look in it and you see yourself. And you go, oh, that doesn't look like Jesus. I better change that. So that's what being a disciple is. And so uh, eventually we'll uh, give you the opportunity to go through what we call it a Timothy program, which is uh, weeks of Bible study that you go through with another individual. And it is... It is patterned after the relationship that the Apostle Paul had with Timothy, where he took him under his wing. He says, here, let me share these things with you. So that great interaction. And we'll want you to do that. And we'll encourage you to do that. And we'll help you do that. You know, 
You want to do that. Yes, you do. And it's fun to do that, you know. When the Holy Spirit comes in and starts revealing the truth of God to you, it's fun learning about God and how much he loves you. He's been following after you for a long time. He's been chasing you down. He's finally got your attention. So the day came, right? He knew when that day, he knew when that day was coming. And I see it in your face. I see the glow of the Spirit of the Lord and how wonderful it is when we receive Jesus. And we celebrate that. And you know, they're shouting in heaven because you said yes to Jesus. The Bible says there's a celebration in heaven. So, all right. Now, I want to go on here. Um, he talks about the gullible, that gullible woman. Uh, and I like to read sentences like that and say gullible people because I found gullible men. Anybody who doesn't have a foundation in the word is gullible. The Bible says to learn the word so that you are not blown about by every wind of doctrine, every philosophy. Every, there's a lot of ideas out there that are anti-Christ. They're nothing. They don't reflect God. They sound right. They look right. But there's something wrong with them. Okay, if we know the word of God, we're not gullible. That's you? A lot of those philosophies, yes. But... The Bible says, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And if you're seeking after the truth of God, you're going to find it. And all of those things that you were looking at to try to fill that place in your life, that God-sized hole, only God can fill it. He's there to fill it now. He's filling it. Amen. I just rejoice in that. That's good. Yes, yes. Literature. Way to live. But it wasn't true. The way, yes. And in that, I would listen to what she would say because she was very knowledgeable. And you have to sit there and really seek out what is truth and what is just knowledge. Because there is a difference. Correct. What is error? What is just knowledge? Well, you hit the nail on the head because verse 7 says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of people who are learning. And and remember last last week, I think it was last week or week before, I talked about this passage of Scripture says, anyone who comes to God... There's two criteria, not one. He must believe that he is. So you can't get to God until you recognize that he is. Okay? But believing that he is doesn't save you. There are a lot of people out there who believe that God is, and they're reading that book. There's, they read it because it's good literature. They read it because it's a way to live. They read it because it's one way to seek after eternal life in their mind, that, that there are many roads, and this is just one of the many roads. That's their, their thought. There's a lot of reasons they read that, but they're ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Because in, when you come to the knowledge of the truth, the Bible says, this is what you saw in your sister, when they laid hands on your brother. Must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Becoming a disciple is that, that the practice of diligently seeking him. We lay everything else down. We toss everything else out. We say, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, so I'm going to diligently seek him. And so everything else goes out, and the, the word of God comes in, and we, to the, in the mind of the world, we become narrow-minded. And it really bugs people, because you're narrow-minded when you say, Jesus is the only way. 
But Jesus said he was the only way, and he either told the truth or he told the lie. Right. Yes, they are. And, and confusion. Let's, let's talk about this issue of ever learning and ever coming to the knowledge of the truth. Being, you can be highly educated. You can go to every theological seminary in the world and never meet Jesus until the light bulb comes on. I preached on Sunday how the Father has an appointed time when he comes to you and he turns that light bulb on and when that light comes on you have a decision to make and there are people who push back against that and there are people who receive him and for some I can't figure out why people push back against him I have yet to figure it out but this in Ephesians it's talking about Jesus ascending uh, and descending and it says in verse 9 he ascended uh, it means that he uh, first descended into the lower parts of the earth, and it talks. It's explaining that what Jesus did in his death season, he went into the earth, and he, the Bible says he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He led, grave. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So this is a reference to that. Uh, well, it said that just above that in verse eight, when he ascended on high, he led captivity. Uh, captive, and he gave gifts to men. So he took the men who were asleep in God, righteous men who had died before the cross, who were waiting for that promised Messiah to come. Well, he showed up, he went and got him. And it says he gave gifts to men. And so it explains this. He descended as uh, the one who has ascended far above uh, all uh, that he might fill all things. Now listen to this statement. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and every time I teach, I find another favorite passage of Scripture. Because I gave one last night, didn't I, Joya? Yeah. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. That's That's the gifts, first gifts he's referring to. It's not the only gifts, but it's the first gifts that he's referring to. Uh, these are the overseers of the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for works of ministry. What is God calling the saints of God to do? What is God calling people of God to do? Works of ministry. In your sphere of influence, you have an assignment from God. He's always going to put people around you, and they're going to say, you're one of those... Bible thumpers. You're one of those people who follow Jesus. And then you're going to say, yes, believe this. You can't believe what he's done for me. There's your story. And then you share out the word a little bit as, as God equips you, as you become equipped for that. So, for the equipping of the saints. So, what's my job description as a pastor? Equip the saints. My job as a pastor, Benjamin's job as a teacher of the word, um, Anne's, Anne's job as a teacher and as a, as a prophetic voice in the body of Christ, uh, Anne's, Anne's job 
is to uh, is to uh, help equip the saints. That's why, as an elder in this body, part of her her the context of her assignment here is to equip us. She helps equip us for equip the saints for works of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What are the works of ministry to do? Well, what did that say first? There's the, the first assignment to, the, to uh, the saints, their first work assignment is to edify the body of Christ. All gifts from God, their first assignment is to build up the body. Sometimes we think our first assignment is to evangelize the world. Our first assignment is to each other. Then our next assignment, you're right, go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's not a wrong answer. He said... Equip the saints for the works of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, here's the goal. Till we all, and I love the word all in scripture. It's one of those big words. Anytime God says all, highlight it. Pay attention to it. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. Until we all look like him in the earth until we all act like him in the earth until we all think like him in the earth until we all behave like him in the earth until we all um, are equipped and empowered like him in the earth so when you lay hands on a dead man he gets up until we all are doing the works of ministry the way Jesus did him when he was in the earth. And the Bible says, with him seated at the right hand of the Father, I'm going to get into last night's lesson a little bit, Joya. Uh, when we're seated, the Bible says, we're seated together with Jesus in heavenly places, that under his feet are all principalities and all powers. Those demons in hell are under his feet. They're under his, he, he can command them to go away, and they have to go away. They have to do what he says. Uh, and the scripture says, we're seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That means you're sitting in the same seat of authority. And I love that. So he's saying that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. The anointing for ministry is not in the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The anointing for ministry is in the saints of God, in the followers of God, the disciples of Jesus, the body of Christ, the people who come to church. Don't even realize that the anointing that is upon them to do works of ministry, to preach the gospel, to lead people to Jesus, to cast out devils, anything Jesus did, the anointing to do that is in you, and, uh, and the ability to do that is in you because the ability of God is in you. The Bible says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. The believer. Mm, I love it. Now, there's, there's yet another goal here. Or there's a progression of maturing here. Till we all come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, now this, is, this is the... When we become a disciple... This is the this is the the how far reaching becoming a disciple is. That we are no longer like children tossed back and forth and to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That we become equipped to know the difference between a truth, what is truth and what is error, what is of God and what is of Satan that what is of the kingdom and what is of the kingdom of darkness, that we be able to identify it quickly. And I always say this, the wonderful thing about discernment of spirit, and my wife is great at discernment. She has amazing discernment. But I'll know something's wrong and not be able to explain why, but I know it's not, it's not right. Just hair on the back of my neck saying, well, something's not right about what, what was just said or done. Sometimes I'll know exactly what it is. But a lot of times, it's just the Holy Spirit saying, hey, pay attention there, that's, not, that's, that's askew. Well, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It's just askew. The devil doesn't, the devil doesn't want to get you... You see in his, in his approach to Eve, he wasn't trying to argue the truth with her. He was just trying to muddy the truth for her. Because a little bit of lie is lie. 
just to bring confusion about the truth so that we can walk in a little bit of air. And the way that I describe that is if you get on an airplane and the airplane's going to take you from Fresno to Houston and there's a, there's a uh, coordinates that they put in. If they put in one degree off, will you arrive in Houston? You will be, if you leave Fresno to get to Houston and you are one degree off in error, you're somewhere either over Mexico or over the Gulf of Mexico or maybe even over the Pacific. I don't know what one degree would do to that plane. You, you may be over the... Yeah. One degree. So when there is error, the enemy knows that if God has a goal in mind for you, if he can just get you to get one degree askew of the prize... It's a long road. One degree of error. That's what Eve experienced. It was just one degree of error. And then Adam experienced it too because he, when his excuse to God was that woman you gave me. <clears throat> you stand before God face to face. You prophesied it Sunday. You stand there alone, you and God. He's not going to say you blew it because that woman or that man, or that friend, or that employer, nothing. When you stand before God, it's just you and God. I love it. So he says that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or trickery of men. That's what that silly woman in there, uh, gullible lady he was referring to, was doing. she was taken in by the trickery and cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. And he says, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up unto all things in him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, all of us, body of Christ, fitly joined together, knit together by every joint supplying, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So we all have an assignment in the lives of each other. I, you're a brother in Christ. I have an assignment in your life. And the wonderful thing is that you may not realize it today, but you have an assignment in mind. You, you will encourage me and you will strengthen me and you will, and you will, by walking with Jesus and growing up in him and coming to this place of maturity, you will encourage this whole house. We'll be encouraged in your success in walking with God. And, and so we all have a part in each other's life. And you'll begin to discover what those gifts from God are and you'll begin to walk in those things and there'll be a blessing to the body of Christ and all that. It's wonderful. And uh, you guys are going to be saying, it's 8 o'clock. So, let's see here. I guess, oh, I wanted to talk just a little bit. I wanted us to touch again on Janice and Jambres. Don't name your kids that. When he said, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth, he referred to these magicians that resisted Moses. If you go back and read the story of Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and those magicians, everything that God allowed Moses to do, those magicians were able to somehow come close to duplicating it. The only thing was, Moses' stuff overtook their stuff, right? Moses threw his rod down, it became a serpent. They threw their rods down. They were able to turn them into serpents, but Moses' serpent went over and swallowed theirs up, went back, became a rod. It was just like God going, neener, neener, neener. I mean, I, I love stuff like that. I think God is just hilarious. It was just one of those God moments where God showed off to say, don't think for a minute that just because you can... The devil can do signs and wonders. But just because... Don't ever be drawn away with signs and wonders. That's not the, that's not the end all to whether a guy's for real or not. I'm convinced that the devil makes somebody sick so he can make them well just so you think they got healed. Uh, and he's doing it all the time. You know, that kind of thing. I think that we have to be very careful. Now, you'll know, like in your case, and your sister, they were glorifying Jesus. That was all about Jesus. Lord, come and heal this man. Jesus, we give you glory for what you've done here in this place. All the glory goes to the Lord. We're not taking credit for it. But when the devil does it, he's going to take some credit somewhere. He's going to puff himself up about it. 
And he's going to say, look at me, come follow me. You don't need that Jesus stuff. He'll always, you know. So, Janus and Jambres, these magicians, they were well studied. They were highly educated and they were practiced in their craft. We never treat the gift of God as a craft. The, Holy, the moving of the Holy Spirit and the doing of the works of ministry and even that of doing miracles is not a craft. And who is a guy in scripture, you'll know his name probably, and that went to the Apostle Paul and said, here, let me pay you to give me those gifts. Let me do what you're doing. What was the guy's name? And the Apostle Paul says to him, I wish I could remember his name. The Apostle Paul says to him, oh, your money can just perish with you. You and your money are both going to burn. That was pretty bold of Paul. He said, you and your money perish with you. You can't buy this. It's not a craft. He'd been paying witches to do their thing. They get delivered. He, He wants that power. So he tried to buy it. He thought, ooh, everything's got a price. Well, he fits right up there in that love of money crowd. The Apostle Paul says, you're going to die, and your money can die with you. So, now, here's the other thing that is a good example when you're looking. The Bible says, spiritual man judges all things. Right? You judge things by the Spirit, or you judge them by the Word of God, you judge them appropriately. So when you look at them, you come to a conclusion about whether they're good or not based on on the fruit or what you see. Okay? So he says right here, Janus and Jamus resisted Moses, and so do these that we've been talking about in the previous verses resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. They will progress no further, for their folly will be made manifest to all. When you meet somebody who stops progressing in their faith, when they're stuck, when they've stopped looking at themselves in light of the word of God, when they've stopped addressing their flesh issues. I was, I was talking about a guy, a, a man that we know that preached the gospel was extremely prophetic, amazing minister of the gospel. He's now living with a boyfriend back east, and he's not in ministry, and he has determined that that's okay with God. The fruit is what we judge by, and we can look at that situation and we can say, that's not right, that's not scriptural. So it says that they only get to a certain point and then they stop right there and they will progress no further. My opinion has always been where my flesh is concerned and the desires of my flesh and the the actions of my flesh and my body wanting to control me and, and all that kind of stuff that men go through and women go through, that when do you ever stop fighting? At what point do you stop? Right. That's what I concluded. And so I look at that situation and I see a man stuck. And the Bible says they will progress no further for their foolishness will be manifested to everybody else looks at it. And it's very obvious to everyone else that something's wrong there, that that's not right. But to that individual, it's not obvious. They've, and they're stuck. will progress no further until they cry out to God to be set free from that. Amen? We are, we are finishing with verse 9. We'll pick up from there next week, and next week will be our closing week in 2 Timothy. Um, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word tonight. We thank you for giving us an environment where we can sit together and, and dissect the word of God. It's a little different environment than just being taught, Lord, it's an environment of discovery, but we sure enjoy it. And we're so thankful that there's many ways to, to learn from Scripture. And this has been an effective time the last few weeks. Lord, we thank you for that. I pray that the word that has gone in goes into hearts prepared. Father, we prayed in the Spirit before. We, we came before you before. We prayed together. And Lord, uh, we ask 
that uh, you would cultivate in us uh, a heart to receive your word. And we believe that when we ask, we have what we ask for. And so uh, we have received the word tonight. And now I put a covering over that word, just as you cover seed with soil. I put a covering over that word, Lord Jesus, that the birds of the air cannot come, the cares of this life can't choke it, weeds can't come and take it, because we're going to cultivate the garden uh, of the word of God, and we're going to let it bring forth fruit in its season. Amen? We just rejoice in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.